Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all. It's good to have you with us. Wonderful to celebrate a baptism today. Congratulations, Heather. Uh, we have the joy of baptizing some more people uh, in just a few weeks' time on April the 10th. Get that in your diaries. Uh, it's going to be a joyous morning to celebrate Jesus changing lives. And it was so good to welcome in new members as well. Welcome to the family. It's wonderful to have you with us. We love to uh, just help people to get connected more and more into uh, what we're all about here as a church. And so our next Getting Connected course will be coming up uh, in May. So look out for that if you uh, want to know more about who we are as a church and want to kind of get tucked in and find your place in the family here. Uh, that would be wonderful. As Anna said, my name's Tom and uh, I'm one of the pastors or elders here. And uh, it's a joy to be able to open up God's Word uh, this morning. We're going to get into the Bible in just a few uh, minutes' time. But if you're, if you're not new here, maybe you've been around for a number of years, uh, you may not know this, but this is quite a significant anniversary for us, because it was exactly six years ago uh, to this day, this very day, that we had our first ever gift day towards uh, our building plans as a church. Um, on, that, on exactly six years ago today, uh, we gave... Uh, not really knowing what God was going to do. We gave uh, not really with any, we didn't have a building in mind. We didn't know what it was going to look like. We were praying as a church and God has done immeasurably more than we could have ever asked back then or ever imagined back then. Uh, and we gave that day and we raised something like 70,000 pounds, which for us at the time was a huge uh, milestone for us, a big step for us as a church. And the last few years have been quite incredible as we've given, I think, well over now 1.5 million pounds um, towards uh, this building project, but uh, above and beyond that, what, like we've been giving so much more to what God's doing here in Ipswich and through this church and to uh, Relational Mission, our family of churches. We've given tens and tens of thousands of pounds to uh, helping plant and strengthen churches right across uh, our, our, our nation, but also in, in Europe and in different continents of the world. And we've given tens of thousands of pounds to uh, developing nations and to uh, start businesses where there's people just in desperate, in desperate need. Uh, and so we've been a, just on an amazing journey, really, of generosity and faith as a church. And I want to uh, tell you, I really do uh, believe with all my heart that this journey isn't over. Even though we've landed in this building, even though we're here now, and what an amazing journey that was, the journey of our generosity and giving isn't over as a church. And I do believe in the years to come, we're going to be marked more and more as a church that just gives outrageously to God's uh, kingdom purposes here and beyond. I really believe that. And so I want to uh, just uh, encourage us, friends, we've got more to go uh, in this. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be um, giving you a, a uh, financial review. We do this every year. Uh, it was very helpful for people last year. We received some feedback. It's going to look a little bit like uh, this, what you see on the screens. And you'll get this in a couple of weeks' time. And this will lay out to us um, all uh, that we gave last year as a church and then how we invested that money. And it lays out some of our needs as a church uh, going forward as well. And one of the things that we communicate in it is that at the moment, finances are quite tight in the church. Uh, I've not really known a time like that in the eight years that I've been in uh, leadership here. Uh, we're in quite a tight spot, really. We need God to come through for us. We need to pray and ask God to uh, provide for us in, uh, in the ways that he has done over these last few years. And I just want to um, ask and encourage you, if you are a part of this church, if you're a member of this church, or you're regularly amongst us, to prayerfully consider uh, your giving uh, to the church here. Uh, I know that in many ways, it's like the worst possible time to ever say to the church, hey, we're in a bit of a tight spot, because right now, a lot of you are in a tight spot, and I don't want you to hear 
uh, that if you're in that place where you're just thinking, I'm just struggling to make ends meet week to week, that listen, I'm not, I'm not asking you um, to consider your giving. I want to just ask us to pray and consider and say, God, how can I, how can I grow in generosity? This is something that me and Sarah are doing. We've always made it our practice uh, since we've been married to give uh, 10% of our income uh, to the life of our church where we were in Southampton before and now here in Ipswich. And we give over and above that and we're looking to say, can we increase that some more in the weeks to come? Can we increase our monthly giving? Um, because it's just so important what God's doing here. And I just want to appeal to you in that, friends. So please do, when you get a hold of those uh, booklets in a couple of weeks' time, uh, read them, pray, pray for our church. Even if you think, actually, we're so tight, we can't possibly give anything more than we're giving. Pray. Honestly, prayer is so important. Pray that God will uh, provide for our every need. And then we're just going to see what God does in the, in the weeks and months to come. And we have an, a special gift day planned for May the 22nd, uh, where we're going to all on one Sunday kind of just give uh, generously over and above what we give regularly. And uh, we're going to see what God does for that. We're going to give some more information about that in the weeks to come, about how much we're looking to raise and how much we're going to give to certain things and what we're going to do with the money. But for now, I just want to ask you to be praying. Is that clear? Yeah. Wonderful. You are a wonderful church. You really are. And uh, we've seen incredible things over these last few years. I don't believe God's <clears throat> brought us to this place to then kind of see us uh, struggling on. You know, it's a bit like the, uh, the Israelites being brought out of e Egypt and into, into the desert. And they're thinking, is God going to leave us now? No, he's got provision. He kept on providing for them, kept on giving them all that they needed. He's brought us here. He's going to keep providing. Wonderful. We're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you might like to turn there now. Uh, we've been working through this, this book of the Bible called Ephesians uh, since the beginning of this year, and we've been seeing some amazing truths uh, in this book. It's written, a letter written by a guy called Paul, who was an apostle in the early church. He helped to see churches planted, and then he really kind of gave them fatherly care through his letters, through his visits, through his prayers. And we're going to see today a prayer that Paul prays, a mighty prayer that he prays for the church in Ephesus. At this point, Paul is in prison, and he's written this amazing letter, which the first two chapters we've covered, and in those two chapters, we see him just out, spilling out of him some amazing truths about what God has done for us in sending Jesus, what he's done for us in uh, freeing us from our sin and our shame, bringing us into newness of life where we were spiritually dead, how he's brought us into a family how he's uh, taken us where we were once not a people, but now we're the people of God. How he's brought Jew and uh, Gentile, that's the people from non-Jewish backgrounds together, believing in Jesus and uh, trusting in him. It's an amazing opening couple of chapters. And then Paul just goes off on one in a prayer. And he might be writing it himself or someone might be writing it down for him. But as he's just writing this letter, he feels compelled to pray for the church in Ephesus. So we're going to look at why Paul prayed. We're going to look at how Paul prayed, and we're going to look at what Paul prayed. That's how we're going to uh, unpack this today. And then at the end, I want to, um, us to stand and worship this God whose love we're going to read about. It's amazing love that we're going to read about. And then there'll be a time to, to pray together. And I'm going to invite people to come to the front here, uh, where we'd love to pray for you, if, and I'll, I'll, I'll share that a little bit more later. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 3 is where we are, picking up in verse 14. That's what it says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, why did Paul pray this? Well, I want to say it's the same reason why he's writing this letter in the first place. He is not just bored and has nothing better to do in his prison cell. He really has a heart that yearns for the church at Ephesus and the churches in that area. He has a heart that really uh, is so deeply yearning for them. He has a love for them. He wants to see them growing and thriving. He wants to see them individually uh, being well-rooted in Jesus and growing in the faith. This is what his heart is, not just for this church, but for all the churches that he helped to plant and to then uh, father and oversee. This was his heart. We see this in uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He says, I just long for you. Philippians, the letter to the church in Philippi, was written at the same time as this letter to the church in Ephesians. So we can see Paul in prison, writing encouragement to different churches in different nations. He's longing for them. He, he, he's yearning for them. We read in Galatians 4 that he says, I'm like, a, I'm like a woman in childbirth. How much I'm yearning to see you established. I want to see you growing. I want to see you thriving. This is his beating heart for them. There's something quite profound happened in Paul's life, where he was once living for his own reputation. And he describes in Philippians chapter 3 how he was of the best tribe, he had the best education, he was top dog, really, he was one of the chief priests in his nation. And for him, really, it was people respecting him, that was what he was living for. And now we see that he's no longer living for that. He's happy to be imprisoned on account of his faith. He's happy to be imprisoned because of his preaching about Jesus. But he's, he's so done with self-centered kind of life. He's done with preoccupation about himself. And instead now he longs to see others come to know Jesus and he longs to see others built up in their faith. That's what he longs for. That's his life now. He, we read in Philippians chapter 1, he, he talks about his, his life in a really clear way. He says... In verse uh, 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, what does that mean for him? It means fruitful labor. If I'm to live in the fresh, flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul doesn't know what the future is going to hold for him. He's in prison. It could lead to him being executed or he might just die in prison. He doesn't know 
He's saying, in, in many ways, that's going to be better because I get to go and be with Jesus and I get face-to-face glory and he's the very best thing about eternity. I get to go and see him. But he says, I think, and I'm going to remain because I'm going to labor for your progress and joy in the faith. There was something that happened deep within him where he knew it's not about me anymore. It's not about me anymore. It's about others and seeing them established in the faith and growing in the faith. And I, I, I don't think that's unique to Paul. I don't think it's just unique to the other apostles, although that was certainly their heart and their, their, their burden and their yearning. I don't think it's just unique to church leaders. I think this is something that God wants for all of us to grow into. Now, clearly for an apostle, it's right and fitting that they carry many churches in their heart in this way and yearn for many churches But I believe that for every Christian, it's God's heart that we catch his fatherly heart. That we catch this and that we long and yearn to see others built up and strengthened in the faith. That we leave behind kind of preoccupation with self and or that we might be running after in our lives and think, no, no, actually to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if I go on living, it means fruitful labor for Jesus. It means I'm going to do stuff that's going to bring him glory and I'm going to see others strengthened and built up. I believe that's for all of us. I don't think it's just for the elders of this church, although that very much is our heart, that we really long to see people uh, standing strong in the faith, walking in all that Jesus has for them. That's very much our heart, but I believe it's for men and women right across this church that we might know the heart of a father, the heart of a mother, you know, to be spiritual mothers and fathers. Paul even describes himself a bit like a mother in places. We've already heard that from... Galatians chapter 4, but he also does in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, where he, he talks about the time that he came to Thessaloniki in Greece, and he, he preached to people, and he said, you know how we were among you. He first says, we were like, I was like a father among you, exhorting you, exhorting you to live a life worthy of Jesus. He says, but I was like a mother among you, nurturing you, bringing you up in the faith. And so I do believe, really, friends, that why Paul is writing this letter, why he's praying this prayer is that something profound has gone on in his heart where he's no longer about himself, but he's now about others and others being encouraged and strengthened and built up. I think something profound has happened in him. And I've longed for that to be for us, that Hope Church, that more and more, as we spend time with the Father, that we more and more bear the family likeness. I think it comes from walking with him. I think it comes from spending time with him and having our hearts changed by him, that we now look to others and we say, I just want to see them raised up. I want to see them strengthened. I want to see them uh, walking in all that God has for them. I think this started in me as a young man. I was uh, 16 when I uh, got baptized. And 16 to 18, I just remember learning to pray uh, and walking uh, in a car park late at night, which was, I worked at a supermarket and I pushed trolleys around a car park uh, until quite late at night. And I just started to pray. I started to sing to God, and as I'd walk home, I'd just pray out and just start to, uh, I guess as I prayed, just started to get a bit of his heart, and there were some fields near where I lived, and I, I guess a little bit unusual, I just would want to go out and just pray. That was kind of just what I wanted to do, and I still love to walk in the countryside and pray and talk to God now, but I remember even at that age, God starting to give me a burden for my peers, so those who were 16, 17, 18 in my church, I, I wanted to encourage them. If they weren't at church for a few weeks, I'd say, hey, you're doing all right. Come along. Come on, let's be there. 
get to life group or small group or whatever we called it back then. And there was a, a, a heart, a, a burden that God gave me. I really believe, friends, that this is for many, many people to catch a hold of. Yes, today, but in the weeks and months to come, as we, as we walk with the Father, as we speak to him, as we pray, that he would give us that same kind of fatherly, motherly care that we would want to say, it's not about me anymore. Like Parenting is quite selfless, isn't it? If you're a parent, you know that you kind of just give of yourself, and it's not always instantly rewarding. And even when you least kind of want to give of yourself, you find you have to give of yourself. Like, you're thinking, I'm so tired, I've got nothing more to give, and now I'm giving some more. And this is what spiritual parenting is like. Sometimes it's not at the most convenient times that God will have you uh, be speaking into someone's life. And you'll be thinking, I'm tired. I've worked week all week, or I've got this going on in my life. But we give out. And we say, I want to I see others built up. I want to see others strengthened. We're other-centered. So I believe that that was really why Paul prayed this prayer and why he wrote this letter. But I also believe that, and we've seen this in the recent weeks, that Paul had this burning vision for what the church is to be. He had this burning vision within of what is the church? It's not a social club. It's not a place where we come and sing a few songs on a Sunday and then go home. No, he saw the church in, in a beautiful light. And the, and the letter to the Ephesians has almost a full house when it comes to the metaphors of, uh, of what the church is. Paul says that you are God's household. You're his family. You're a family together. God's our father. We're brothers and sisters. We're a family. He says that you are citizens of a new kingdom, a kingdom that will never end, will never, never crumble, never die. You're citizens together. You're a new nation. He says that you are a temple, a place where God dwells by his spirit. So you're being built together. So it's not like this place is, is anything special. No, but when you come together, when you're built together, God comes and dwells amongst you. He says that you are the body of Christ. We're going to see that in the next few weeks. Uh, myself and Hannah Alston will be unpacking that a little bit next week and Nick the following week. We're a body. We're, 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 we work together. We've, we've got individual parts of a body. And then we see later, we're the bride of Christ. We've sung about that this morning. We're the bride of Christ that Jesus is going to claim as his own. You see almost a full house of, of metaphors, of pictures of the church in Ephesians. So Paul had this burning vision for what the church was to be. And I, I pray that this will be our heart, friends. I pray that we would uh, be buzzing with these things, that we see the church for what it is. That the church is, is something glorious. And it's something we give ourselves to. And we say, I want to play my part. And then we not only just see what the Bible says here, but we also look at what God has said to us as a church prophetically. We've, he said so many things to us about uh, our destiny here at Hope. So many. One that sticks in my mind again and again when I pray is that we as a church are an aircraft carrier in, in amongst a fleet of ships in our family of churches. And on, on, this, on the deck of this, uh, this aircraft carrier, there are hundreds on deck. This is a, a prophetic picture that Len South had. There's hundreds on deck, and some were readying planes that were going to be sent to the nations. Listen, I believe that's for us as a church, that we're going to see many sent on from here to the nations, to other parts of this nation. But this requires all of us to play our part, and all of us to get this heart that Paul had. And for, for many of us here to even say, I need to, I need to step up in some ways. Listen, we've got, I think, 33, 34 life groups this term, which is wonderful. I think we probably need about 40. 
So in this next term, it's going to require a dozen or so more people to say, hey, I, I'd like to lead a group. I, I think I can gather seven or eight people in my home once a week or once a fortnight, and we can pray together. We can have bread and wine together. We can, we can encourage each other. I, I think a lot of people here would discount themselves from that. Listen, God can strengthen you and give you the, give you the energy and the impetus you need for that. He can. There's going to be many that are going to need to step up and say, I want to get involved in, uh, in, in, the, in the next generation. We've read in this, uh, in this wonderful passage, this is for all generations, this wonderful news of Jesus. For all generations. And I, I believe we need between a dozen and 20 more people to put their hands up and say, I want to get stuck in serving our next generation. Not because they feel kind of guilty or like, oh, there's people serving more than one week in four and it's not good. No, no. People who are, who are saying, God's given me this burden. I just want to be, I just want to serve others. I want to, I want to give myself to serving this next generation. I want to see them raised up. This was something that I loved. I loved working, I love working with children and young people. I, I, I love being here and doing this, but it's a joy to work with children and young people, to see the gospel just coming to hearts, see them growing in faith. It's so important, friends. And so I just want to encourage us. Before we unpack this prayer some more, let's ask God, give us your heart that would be other-centered, that we'd, we want to, I want to serve, I want to, I want to pour myself out for others. And maybe there's some here who just say, I want to step up. I want to step up and say, I want to lead a life group next term. I want to step up and say, I want to, I want to serve one week in four to, to, to care for our children and teach them about Jesus or our young people, our teenagers. It's a joy. It really is a joy. And I believe there's many here who can step up in these ways. So, why Paul prays? He prays because he's got a heart and a burden for the people in this church. God has given him this heart as he's spent time with him. And God has shown him what the church is to be. So, how does he pray? Well, firstly, we note who he prays to. He says, I kneel before the Father. And Jesus taught us to pray. When you, when you pray, go, go into your room, close the door. And be before your Father who is in secret. And he says, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. So the normal pattern for us is that we pray to our Father. The word in the Greek here is Abba, which means dad. So there'll be children all across the Middle East who you'll be hearing them shout Abba in the streets. And they're just saying, Dad! And this is the privilege that we have. We get to come before God and he's our Father. There's a warmth here. There's a real warmth of affection here. We get to come before the one who created all things, this one who we've sung about, this mighty one who we've sung about this morning, and we get to say, we get to say, Father. We get to call him Father. It's okay to pray to Jesus the Son, absolutely, to pray to the Holy Spirit, absolutely, but our normal pattern is to pray, Father. He's adopted us. And the key to kind of the, the rocket fuel of our prayer life is not a technique, but it's, it's theology, it's understanding what God has done for us. Understanding that he's our father, that in Christ, as we've placed our faith in Jesus, God has adopted us into his family, that we belong to him now, that we, we're no longer orphans, we're no longer uh, kind, of, kind of tossed to and fro. No, we've got a dad now who cares for us. We've got a perfect father who's wise, who knows what's best for us, who's all-powerful, who has all, he's gloriously rich, we read in verse 16, he's gloriously rich. If you had an earthly dad who was gloriously rich, like billionaire rich, there wouldn't be many requests that you could make 
that you'd be turned away on, would, would there? There wouldn't be much. You know, you could probably say, can I go to the moon in a spaceship? Have you got Jeff Bezos as your dad? He'd say, yeah, all right then. We'll make it happen. Our God is gloriously rich. He, there's nothing that's too difficult for him. And he's our father. We get to call him dad. And this gives us confidence, doesn't it? We read just a few verses before we get to approach this God with freedom and confidence because of what Jesus has done. And we might think, I'm so unworthy. Well, Jesus is the only one worthy, and now we're in him. We're wrapped up in him. He's, he's made us, he's given us his righteousness. And we get to come before our Father as, as in the same confident way that Jesus comes before the Father. And we get to say, Father, I need you. Father, I'm here. So it's not about a technique. It's not about, oh, I need to say these particular things or I need to do this particular thing. I need to light a candle or whatever. It's about theology. It's about knowing who you are now and who God is now to you. It's about knowing I've been, I've been completely uh, forgiven and not only have I been forgiven, but I've had the righteousness of Christ accredited to me. So his right decisions, his perfect life has been accredited to me as if that was my life. And so I come, with God, I come with confidence before God and I call upon him and he's my father. So Paul prays to the father, this one who is patient and kind and provides, who never breaks his promise. We need reminding of this, friends. And you might think, we just go on about this all the time. Well, we need reminding of it because who here could say, my prayer life is buzzing every day. I don't think we could. I don't think all of us could say that. I don't think many of us could say that. We need to be reminded of these things and we need to come to the truth again of what God has done for us. So when we come to a father who is gloriously rich, we come expectant. We come with big prayers. There's a great hymn from uh, many, many years ago which says, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. His grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. So we're coming to one who never says, oh, you don't really want to ask that, that's a bit too much. You know, there's, there's nothing that God will say, no, no, I can't do that. We're coming to a king, so we bring large petitions. We bring things to him that we want to see him do, and we call upon him. We ask him for big things. So what does Paul pray? He prays that God would strengthen the believers with power through the Spirit in their inner being. So this shows us that at our core, right in the very essence of who we are, there is a part that God wants to touch by his spirit and strengthen. This is what he wants to do for you today. He wants to strengthen you today in your inner being, in your inner man. That's what he wants to do for you today. He wants you to come away strengthened so that you can grasp what you already know. Because Paul is talking to this church in Ephesus about the love of God, and they could say, yeah, we know all that already, Paul. You told us years ago. That's when we became Christians. But we need power and strengthening to grasp what we already know, to take it into our hearts, to, be, uh, re to rejoice in it, to be nourished by it. We need to be strengthened. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in this. And so I believe today God wants to strengthen. Maybe he's already doing that. Maybe he's already been doing that as we've worshipped. He's strengthened you in your inner being. We need a strengthening because we are in a battle. We are in a fierce battle. And Ephesians chapter 6 will unpack that some more. 
We're in a fierce battle. If you are a Christian, you are in a battle whereby uh, you have an enemy, the devil, who hates you and wants to drag you into discouragement, wants to drag your eyes off of Jesus and onto yourself and onto your circumstances and into misery and into sin. You have an enemy and you're in a battle. And so we need strengthening. We're on a long journey and long journeys are tiring. You need to stop off at a service station and get a KFC. That's what you need. Definitely KFC. <laughs> We're on a long journey. Some of us have got, got only a few years left to run. Some of us may have 50, 60 years left to run. We need strengthening. We need co- we need, this is how we can pray for our friends. We can say, God, would you strengthen them within would you give them endurance? Would you give them strength to comprehend your love? Would you give them strength to say, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, even though it's really hard right now, even though everything else is just so distracting? We need strength. We need a strengthening within. There's a super, supernatural help needed to grasp the, the length and the depth of God's love and to have our lives transformed. We need this strengthening daily, weekly, so that our hearts aren't kind of yanked about by whatever circumstances or whatever you know, relational difficulties we might be knowing. So we're not kind of, kind of on this roller coaster, we're not handcuffed to a roller coaster, unable to kind of deal with it. No, we need to be strengthened and to know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. We need to know this. We need to be strengthened with it, friends. He loves me. He loves you. And... I love being in a charismatic church. We are unashamedly charismatic. We love the Holy Spirit. We love all that he brings. We love that he brings his gifts amongst us. We love that many, many times we just know his presence so tangibly amongst us. We are unashamedly charismatic. I remember speaking to a couple of people uh, last year. They visited us. They said, oh, we really like your worship. It's quite contemporary, isn't it? But you're not charismatic, are you? You're just checking. You're not charismatic. You know, it's like, no, we are. I'm really sorry to disappoint you. We love the Holy Spirit. We love it when he comes amongst us and we know his presence. But listen, we, we need to know more than a, than a feeling. We need to know a strengthening within where we grasp again the love of God for us. That's what we need. So some weeks we might know, wow, I felt God really amongst us. But what we need not, is to not rely on those things, but to know a strengthening where we know the love of God just fortifying us and just knowing this great love that he has for us. And it's together with all the saints we see in verse 18. It's together with all the saints. So this tells me that there is there's something of the, the, love of God, the depth of the love of God that I can only know through you. As we gather on Sundays in our life groups, there's, there's something of the, the depth of the love of God that I, I need to have revealed to me through you. And that you need to have revealed to you through me and through others. It's together with the saints that we grasp this. So this is why we just totally reject the sort of Jesus and me religion, where it's just, I just go about my walk on my own, and you know, no, no, we, we really need to be gathering together so that we can strengthen and encourage each other. It says in, in Hebrews 10, don't forsake meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other all the more as you see the day of his return drawing near. And so that, that means the opposite of not meeting together, isn't meet together for the sake of mere church attendance. But it's meet together that you might encourage each other, that you might build each other up. We need this. We need this, friends. And it's not just this kind of hour and a half. 
We need, as we gather after the service has finished, as we meet in our life groups, we need to encourage each other and build each other up. We need it. And there's something of the love of God that uh, we grasp more when we're together. And we, we see something of the width of God's love. We see how wide it is. I look around, I think, there's different cultures and backgrounds and stories that are here in this room. We're reminded of the width of God's love. If we hang out with those that uh, are just like us all of the time, then we don't really kind of grasp the full width of God's love. And we start thinking, yeah, I mean, of course God saved me, but I couldn't save that person from that kind of background. We start to kind of take our eyes off how wide his love is for all who will come and place their faith in Jesus. He will save. He'll bring them in. We see the width of God's love as we are together. We'll see the length of God's love. We've already heard in this series of how God's love has burned since before the creation of the world. We've seen how he has always been a God of love. He didn't just become love. This is how Christianity is so unique compared to all other world religions because Christianity really means it when we say God is love because he's always been a community of love. He didn't create his son one day and suddenly he became loving. No, he's always been a God of love. And his love has burned since before the creation of the world. And it's a love that is long-suffering. It's patient. I'm reading from the ESV today, the English Standard Version. Some of you might read from the King James Version. And when you read in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love is patient. Well, in your version, it will say, love is long-suffering. God is so patient with us. So long-suffering. When he took you on, he, he knew that you would stumble. He knew that you would get things wrong. He knew that you would take your eyes off him and trip over some things. He knew that. He knew that that would happen. And he's patient towards you. There was a great theologian called J.I. Packer, and he said this, There is tremendous relief in knowing that God's love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself. Anyone here disillusioned about themselves? About four of you. You're doing really well, everyone. I do, I'm disillusioned about myself a lot. And yet at no point was God's love towards me based on any kind of unrealistic expectation. He knew. He had no illusions about me. Thinking he's going to be perfect from day one. No, he took me on. He adopted me knowing that it would require patience. His love is so long. His, his love is so long for you. It's patient. You might, have thought, you might have thought, I've really blown it this week, and surely now I've exhausted the patience of God. It says that the Lord is slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. That means he's, a, he's abounding in love that says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to walk out. He's abounding in that. You poke him, you get steadfast love. I'm not going anywhere. I'm patient. And you think, I've just, he can't be, surely this week was the final straw. He's so patient with you. So, his love is so long. Lord, help us to grasp that. His love is so wide, it's so long, it's so high. 
Where do we deserve to be? We deserve to be in the dust, don't we? We deserve to be in the dust because of our mess, our sin, and he lifts us up. He seated us in heavenly places with Jesus. He's got plans for us that are really high and lofty. We don't have to strive after earthly position, earthly influence, earthly popularity, because God's plan for us in eternity is really lofty. He plans to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us throughout eternity. He's going to lift us up to the highest place. His, his love is so high. His plans for us are glorious. How, how exalted and privileged we're going to be. And his love is deep. His love is so deep that he reached down. He reached as deep as you possibly can reach. He gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son that he would save us through living the perfect life. Through a life of totally right decisions. Never one moment where he made the wrong call. We made the wrong call most days. He never made the wrong call. And he laid down his life. Yes, Roman soldiers seized him and put him on that cross. Yes, the chief priests conspired to get him there. But Jesus said, I lay down my life for you. He did it. He did it willingly so that we could be forgiven. He hung there on the cross. He took upon himself our sin and our shame and the punishment for it so that we wouldn't have to. His love is deep. It's so deep. Deeper than any love that you will find on this planet. It says in 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And some of you today, you might have come along thinking, I'm going to give church a try. And you might have been searching for that kind of love your whole life. Thinking, I'll find it in relationships. I'll find it if people on the end of the phone texting me, making me feel good about myself. And you've realized it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fill you. It doesn't change you. It's not glorious. You need to know this love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. He did it for you. And today, you can receive that love as a gift. It's a total gift. And his forgiveness and his mercy, it's a gift. You just have to receive it. And it may be that in the weeks to come, just as we've celebrated with Heather this morning, it may be that you get baptized. Say, I, I found a love that is so much better. So much better than everything else I was looking for. Everything else that I thought would satisfy, but left me empty every time. And when you know the love of Christ, all the other loves find their rightful place. You don't crush other people with unrealistic expectations. That you think, that love's really going to satisfy me. The love of a husband or a wife or a partner or the respect of friends. You just crush them with your expectations. You know the love of Christ. All the other loves find their rightful place. You know what true love is. And Jesus comes to dwell in your heart by faith. Jesus comes to live within you by faith. We moved house as a family just before Christmas. Two weeks before Christmas. And, you know, we, we busted a gut to get the house turned around for Christmas. The house looked so different in those first two weeks because Christmas was coming. 
But now, over months and maybe years, we're gradually going to make that house our own. We're going to move room by room to make that house our own. And this is what happens when Jesus comes to live within you. Some things might change straight away. I remember speaking with my dear dad, who's no longer with us, but he became a Christian when he was maybe a little bit older than me. And he said that he went from being very, very angry and potty-mouthed to very peaceful and just stopped swearing. It just happened. He's from South Wales, from an estate where, you know, every other word would be gladly a swear word, right? <laughs> and just dropped that straight away. But then, 20, 30 years of life change as Jesus moved room by room in his life, making it his own. This is what happens when Jesus comes to live in you by faith, by the Holy Spirit. Some things might change straight away, but then he's moving room by room, making it a fit dwelling for him. That's what he's doing. And so I want to just, today, even as the band come up and get prepared to lead us in a final uh, song and we're going to respond to God together, today I want to pray that we'll be strengthened I want to pray that there'll be some here today who say, I want to receive this free gift from Jesus. I want to, I want to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. Listen, you're, <laughs> you're going to think you know it, and then as you go forward, and more and more you think, there's so much more for me to know. Welcome to Christianity. As you grow forward, and more and more and more, you can know there's so much more for me to know. Never going to plunge the depths of God's love for you. Never going to plunge the depths of how good he is and how marvelous he is. One of we might stand together. I want to pray. And then we're going to worship. Let's lift our hands to God together, shall we? If you feel comfortable to do that. Father, we, right now, we just come before you. And just like Paul, we pray that you would by your Holy Spirit now, come and strengthen us within. Come and strengthen us within our inner man, within our very being, that we might be grasping more and more the love that you have for us. This love that is so high and wide and deep and long. I pray that right now, my brothers and sisters, right across this room, would just be strengthened. We pray for a strengthening. Lord, even in these uncertain times, economically uncertain times in what's going on in our continent and beyond, we want to say, Father, come and bring a strengthening work. Come and do that now. Come and fortify us. Come and help us to be so uh, rooted and established and grounded in the love of God. Help us to grasp today and in the days to come the depths of your love, Father. Help us to grasp this that we might be those that are confident, that we might uh, come before you in prayer. We might know we come with confidence. <laughs> come and strengthen us, I pray. And I, I want to ask, Father, that right now you would come and do a work in hearts where you would just uh, uh, awaken our spiritual fathers and mothers, that we would have many, many people in our church family who's Life is just given over to encouraging others, to praying for others. Would you, would you do that in our hearts now? Lord, we want to just turn away from self-centeredness. We want to turn away from, uh, we want to turn away from ways where we've kind of, we thought it was all about us. 
We want to be those that have this heart of you, Father. We want to be those that labor for the joy of others and the progress of others. We want that, Lord. And Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, who doesn't know this love, who maybe even today has come in, maybe only invite a friend or just randomly. Would it be that right now you would reveal yourself to people, reveal your great love for people, even as we sing? Would it be that your gift of grace, your gift of mercy is received by hearts for the very first time? I ask you, Father, that we'd be celebrating with many in the weeks to come. Baptism, celebrating new life. Heavenly Father, would you come and do that now, even as we sing, even as we worship you. Come and reveal to us more and more of your love. And if you just want to just, even now, just say what you want to say to God. It's a moment here. Just pour your heart out to him. He hears your heart. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing together, and uh, as we begin to sing, there's going to be a bunch of us at the front here, at the center here, who will be willing to pray with you. Maybe you need to know a strengthening. We just want to stand with you, pray for that strengthening. Maybe you just know, when I was speaking about spiritual fathers and mothers, maybe God's awakening that in your heart. We want to pray for you that you'll be very fruitful in that. Maybe you've given your life to Jesus for the first time today. We want to come and just come forward as we, just as a song unfolds, maybe you want to sing a chorus and a verse and then just come forward. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Let's enjoy God together.